This morning, the word comes to us from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 12. Uh, We'll be reading verse 1 through uh, the opening of verse 7. Uh, If you have Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me there. I'd love for you to turn with me there so that we can together read the word. If you don't have a Bible with you, then you could uh, uh, look on the screen as the words will be there as well as we together hear the word of the Lord. So the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one ewe lamb he had, brought, he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ulam that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against this man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. This is God's word offered to us in its reading and in its hearing. So we give thanks to the Lord God Almighty. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Gracious God, we come thankful for your word, thankful for the wisdom that's contained therein. Lord, let it speak life to us this morning. Let it speak truth to us this morning. Open our eyes that we would see. Open our ears that we would hear. Open our minds that we would come to know and understand your word. And indeed, your ultimate will open our hearts so we would feel its power. And by your grace, I ask, O God, that you would open our hands, that we would offer grace to the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have a story of David and of Nathan, of David and of Nathan. Nathan being the servant of the king, being the the, the trusted uh, sidekick to David. And, And you might remember David, David and Goliath, David the one that was favored over Saul, David that became king. David that united the kingdoms, Israel and Judah. David that established Jerusalem as both a religious and a political capital. David who ushered the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. This David, the one who God loved, was messed up. He was beloved by God and yet he made incredible human error, sin. And so in this situation, we have Nathan, who, who, is, who is supposed to be there for David, who's supposed to support David and, and, and be that rock for him in every circumstance to be able to provide wisdom for him and guide his steps. And so here we have this Nathan come to, to King David, and, and, and Nathan has a choice. How do I approach telling my boss that they're messed up? Have you ever faced this circumstance in your life? Have you ever had a boss that was messed up? 
Hey, <laughs> whoa, Jeff, Susan is not here. She can't even defend herself. Uh, and, and Zach's up on the front row, who I'm his boss, like hollering back as well. This is not good. Uh, so, so, you, so you see how challenging this is, right? You've had a boss that has been messed up, and you have had this challenge. How do I approach them? How do I offer them wisdom? How do I offer them guidance? Is it my place or is it not? Should I just let them be messed up or should I offer them some reprove or approach? And so you have this circumstance, and, and Nathan, I think, is so wise because he did not walk in and say, David, you're messed up. No, he approached it guiding David, moving David carefully to the conclusion so that he could give a faithful rebuke and David would be able to receive it. He basically spoke to to David in a parable. There's this one who has everything and this one who has nothing and this one who has everything takes that precious thing from this one who has one precious thing. He had nothing, now he's one precious thing and the the rich man is going to take it from him and David says, I'm going to kill him. I'm the king, I'll do what is right, I'm a wise judge, I'm going to be able to preside over this, I'm going to make him pay four times back, or the death penalty, or both, because I'm king. Because that's how David rolls. So, Nathan then has the perfect end to speak a word of truth to David. He then turns to David and says, you are that man. The one that you just judged deserved death. The one that you just judged deserved to pay at least four times back. That one is you. And you could just feel the air come out of David's lungs as he was just punched square in the gut. You see, Nathan tapped into that thing which is so natural for us, right? We are natural at judging people. We're good at it. It's our human condition. We can look at someone else and say, ah, I get it. You're messed up. Let me tell you how. I could even maybe fix you. If you give me time and you listen to me, I will fix you. And we're, and y'all, y'all are acting like that's not y'all. I know, listen, this is who we are. We look at other people, we can call out their flaws, we can call out their mistakes, we can even attempt to, 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 to act as though we could fix them. All the while, we fail to look at ourselves, analyze what's going on in us, and take the time to do something about it. Why, Why do we act like that? We act like we are professional judgers. We are, we are skilled at it, and so we offer that over people and lord it over them and fail. Jesus has a word for this. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus has a word for this. Y'all might, y'all might have heard this. Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? Why are you so, so conscious of everybody else's stuff? But you refuse to to dig in, to self-reflect, to self-analyze, to figure out what is it in here that needs some work. And, you know, Jesus takes this interesting turn. He He says, because when you take that log out of your own eye, 
when you actually like pull that thing out, take that log out of your own eye, you then can see the, the, the speck in your neighbor's eye and pull it out. No longer just pointing at it saying, hey, look, 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 look at the speck. They're jacked up. Now you actually can, can, can journey with them. Why? Because you have a witness of how you have journeyed with God to correct the things that are broken in you. It's not, it's not about now I am holy and I am righteous and I am all well and fixed and so I'm going to go take care of everybody else. Now it's like I know how broken I am. I know how in need I am. I know how sinful I am. And so now I can come and journey with someone else in that same way that I have been journeyed with by the power of the Spirit in Jesus Christ. Y'all got it? You see, so th- th- this is, this is Jesus' version of what, what, what Nathan and, and David are doing. And, and, and it makes me wonder, it makes me wonder how often are we caught up in situations where if we would just take a moment to pause, if we could just remove ourselves from the immediacy of the situation and we could just analyze, self-reflect what is going on here, could the outcome be different? Could we, could we set a totally different course if we could just breathe a moment and let the spirit move i think that's the the kind of thing i i I believe david wished he had the chance to do like like david had that opportunity uh to look back on his day as soon as soon as nathan said you are that man david's like and he's looking back at what had been going on in his life and he wished that he could change the course somewhere along the way. Do y'all know the story of, of, of what was going on here? Of what brought David and Nathan to this time? You see, so, so David uh, had, had gotten like all these successes come his way, right? He had defeated Goliath. Uh, he had uh, 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 overcome Saul. He had become king. He had united uh, every, uh, the nations to, to Jerusalem. He had brought the Ark of the Covenant in. He even wanted to build a temple for God, but God said, no, that's not for you. That's going to be for the generation to come after you. And so here we have David in all of his successes, and it comes the season. The Bible says uh, in chapter 11 uh, of 2 Samuel, the season for war had come. And so as the king, normally he would go, but this time he's staying back. He's sitting on his laurels, uh, sitting on his victories, feeling good about himself. And while everybody else is out for war, what does he do? He goes up on his rooftop to just enjoy the awesomeness of being awesome. And, and he looks out on his kingdom, and he looks out on, on the entire world and he, uh, th- that, that is his, that he governs over, and he says, oh, I'm so good. And then he looks out on the rooftop next door, and he sees a neighbor that is sunbathing, nude, and he thinks to himself, "Woo, she looked good. Have you heard this story? Maybe not like that. It's not quite like that in Scripture. <laughs> so so he, he looks out, and Bathsheba is there, and, uh, and he sees her, and she is beautiful, and he lusts after her. And I wonder after Nathan said, you are that man, if he thought, if I could just go back to that moment of lust and say, God, what is going on in me, if it could have stopped there. But it didn't. 
the next step after he lusted after her is, is, is he called uh, one of his trusted confidants and said, said, hey, I need you to go inquire about chick that lives next door that's super fine. And so I'm the ad-libbing. So, 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 they, so they actually go, they find out, and they come back. David makes, makes this inquiry. And I think about all the time that elapsed, right? We don't know how long this was, same day, next day. We don't really know. Uh, but David sends them out, and they come back. All the while, all the while, David could have taken a pause. He could have taken a moment to reflect. He could have realized, man, what I'm about to get into is no good. But he didn't stop there. He kept going. Word came back. Here's who this woman is, wife of Uriah. Uriah has gone to war, uh, and, uh, and she's alone at home. He could have stopped there. He didn't stop there. He invited her to, the, uh, uh, to, the, to, to his house. He invited her to the, to the, to the castle of the king, right? And, uh, and in that time when she comes over, he didn't stop there. He wines her, he dines her, and he brings her in her bed, in his bed. And I think, I think to myself, at what point could David have, have had stopped? At any point he could have stopped. Uh, it wasn't just one choice or, or two choices or three choices or four. At any point, he could have stopped. He could have stopped anywhere in there. If he would have just taken a moment to reflect on what was going on, he could, have, he could have made a better choice, but he didn't make a better choice. He made the worst choice possible. And then, and then word comes back to David just, a, I don't know, days later maybe, and Bathsheba says to David, I'm pregnant. My husband's off to war. It's not his. It's yours. Okay. So now David has, has had a compounding mistake get worse and worse and worse and worse. And now he has uh, a lover who is married to another man who serves him in his army pregnant. He could have stopped there, taken some responsibility, had a moment to self-reflect, owned his mistake, Take, taking care of, uh, of his illegitimate child, uh, beg for the Lord's forgiveness, ask, ask for mercy, been repentant. No, he didn't do any of that. He didn't take that time. He didn't stop. He didn't pause. He is that man, remember? remember? Nathan says you are that man. He is that man. He's doing all of this. And so here in this space, you know what he does? He tries to cover his tracks, cover his tracks. So he calls Uriah back from war. He calls him home. He's like, all right. Is my kid, but he don't know it's my kid. If I get him back quick enough, she has a baby. He thinks it's his as long as they, as long as they make love whenever he's home. Man, how many, how many errors can you make? Well, you would think that, that these errors, as they mount up, he would have had a moment of pause. He never took a moment of pause. He never took a moment to reflect. He never consulted the Lord. He never asked for the Lord's wisdom or guidance. He never asked, what could I do to, to change course? He is functioning entirely in sin entirely in his own space by his flesh's command. And so the, the weird thing is Uriah comes back, and when Uriah comes back, he doesn't even go home. He doesn't go home at all. 
And David's like, no, 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 you need to go home. Like, let me tell you, like, like, like I'm going to give you another day. I'm going to give you another chance. You didn't spend the night there last night. Why didn't you spend the night there? And your eyes like, well, because uh, I didn't spend the night there uh, because my entire battalion is out of the front lines. Like, 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 if they're not with their wives, if they're not in their homes, they're not eating their food, then I'm not going to do those things. And so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be humble in that way. I'm going to serve the Lord, and I'm going to serve the kingdom, and I'm not going to go do the things that other people could do. And David's like, oh, man, you're messing up my plan. I have this good way to sweep it under the rug. I'm going to, like, figure out a way to deceive everybody. You're messing it up. And so here's what David does. He says, Lord, forgive me for my sin. I know I'm an evil man. No, he doesn't do that. He didn't do that. Here's what David did. He tries again. He calls your eye in. He gets him drunk, super drunk. And he's like, if I get him drunk enough, if I give him enough food, he's going to forget about his, like, honor and his humbleness, and he's going to forget about all those things that make him the man that he is. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to then go home, and he's going to sleep with his wife, and then I'm going to be in the clear. It's going to be all good. I'm going to be all right. But it it didn't matter how horrible the deception was on David's part. Uriah still held his honor, still held his faithfulness, and he did not go home for that same reason. So was, was David moved by the profound witness of faithfulness that he had just seen? Did, 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 was he overwhelmed by, by what he had seen and what he had experienced and then like compelled, convicted to change course, to self-reflect and figure out how can I change what I'm doing so that I might be more holy, more humble, more dedicated? None of it. He didn't do any of that. He, in, fact, in fact, he tripled down. So, so now he said, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send orders to the front line, and right now what they're doing is they're, 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 they're taking siege to a city, and, and that means they're surrounding it, they're starving it, they're starving it of water, they're starving it of food, and, and they just stay far enough back that uh, the people on the inside are just going to surrender. They're just going to beg for mercy, like, like, mercy, I'm tapping out, I can't do it because, uh, because y'all just have, have just taken all my resources. So David gives this odd command, this odd command, he says, he says, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. He, he tells the commander of his army. He says, take this man in your eye, put him at the front lines, and make sure he is in harm's way. There, there really isn't like a front line. There really isn't harm's way. You know, we're just laying back. We're like, we're like in, in our camp. We're, we're eating. We're drinking. We're making merry. They're inside like scared to death because we're all out here. And they're like starving and we're all like well fed. That's what's going on here. But David says, figure out something to put him in harm's way. So the commander then asks his troops to go out and press up against the city, so that now the archers are in range to kill the soldiers. In fact, someone is even able to throw a boulder off the wall and crush one of the other soldiers. And, and so in order for David to kill Uriah, he had other, uh, others of his servants killed as well. 
So now it's not just about him and Bathsheba. Now it's not just about him and Uriah. Now it's about him and all of these other people that he put in harm's way and in fact died all so that he could cover his own sin, never once taking a moment to step back and say, God, how can I get this right? What do you have for me? In fact, it doesn't even seem as though he ever realized that he had make, made a mistake in the first place. Uriah dies. David takes Bathsheba as his wife, brings her into his home. And now David's going to live in this life of sin and deception forever. Until Nathan comes to him in chapter 12 and tells him a parable and David rages with anger. And then he says, you are that man. I don't know what you've done. I don't know where you've been. But I know what I've done. And I know where I've been. And all of us have a story of compounding sin. That builds moment by moment, day by day. And we never had the spiritual discipline to nurture our souls and say, Lord, where am I? Where are you? And what do I need to do about it? That, that's that, that, that moment of self-reflection that, that I, I believe God is calling all of us to. All of us called to it. And it's critical. And some of you are thinking, I'm too young for this. I'm too young for this, like, like uh, whenever I like, get totally through puberty and become grown up, then, then I will uh, have time to self-reflect and make better decisions, but I'm making a lot of bad decisions now. No, 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 no. Uh, come to Last Bash, and I'll tell you stories of, of how self-reflection saved my life multiple times. Some of you are thinking, uh, I, I'm too old for this. Uh, I, I actually got things all taken care of. Uh, I'm good. Uh, I don't. I don't want to self-reflect because self-reflection sounds nasty and like it gets little, little grimy. And and I don't need that. Uh, uh, you're wrong. You do. I do. We all do. Because together, if we take that time to self-reflect, God can transform, transform our lives. I, w- I want to give you a tool. It comes from uh, Saint Ignatius of Loyola. Uh, he. he Lived in in the 1500s, 1512, uh, and and uh, he was he was like a not good dude, like a David level not not good dude. He he actually has like uh, on he has like a criminal record for inciting violence in bar fights. So like if you think oh he's Saint Ignatius, this isn't helpful for me because I'm not a saint. Uh, if ha, do you have a record for bar fights and like violence? Oh no hands. Okay good. Uh, that's not true. By percentages, some of you have been in bar fights and have a criminal record. Anyway, um, 
Uh, he also had a propensity for sword fighting. Like he'd get super drunk and he'd be like, let's, let's, let's sword fight. And, uh, and so that's St. Ignatius of Loyola. But here's the deal. So, uh, so in the midst of all of his like crazy life, uh, he got injured in battle and had like this horrible limp the rest of his life. And as he was in recovery from that, uh, the place where he was recovering didn't have any good books. So he had to read about Christians. And he was converted to Christ and uh, dedicated his life to the service of the Lord in his older years. Um, so he had uh, what, what's called the daily examine. And uh, the, the way it goes, you could use this, I could use this. Uh, it's, it's, it's a great way to, to begin a work of self-reflection. It doesn't take super long, but I'm going to commission this to you and hope that you will begin using it in your lives because I believe it has the ability to bless. It's five steps, super easy. Uh, go to God in prayer, get a little bit of quiet time. Step one, ask God for light. Ask God for light. You see, here's the deal. There's all sorts of dark darkness. Uh, it's not always sin, but sometimes it's a lack of clarity, a lack of understanding about what's been going on in our lives. And so you, if you start asking God for light, then you could see your life and the things that are going on in your life through God's eyes, fully lit up, fully understood. And so the beginning is to ask God for light, right? The step two is to give thanks. Because whenever you ask God to light up your life, you're going to see things that God's been doing in your life. And you're going to be like, wow, God's awesome. You're doing some pretty incredible things in my life. I'm so thankful for all of these things. I'm thankful for relationships. I'm thankful for successes. I'm thankful for victories. I'm thankful for those little bitty things that I didn't even realize I needed to be thankful for. The second step is to be thankful. Spend that time. Spend it well. Here's the third thing. Step three, review the day. Review the day that was. So if you do this every day, then you're going to review each day, right? So at the end of the day, you look back on your day and you say, God, based, based on your light, based on your wisdom, from your perspective, how was my day? Give thanks and then review it step by step and begin to think. And then you're going to see the places that you were angry. You're going to see the places you were joyful. You're going to see the places where you were a total punk, where you did things that you didn't need to be doing. And you're going to sit, sit with those for a moment, right? You're going to sit with those in your review and then the fourth step is this. The fourth step is you're going to face your shortcomings. Face your shortcomings. This is the hard part, right? This is the part that, that well, I don't know if David did any of this in the Bathsheba story. But that fourth part, when you review your day and you look back on it, you realize, wow, this is what is going on in me. Be confronted by the sin. If, if, if we're not confronted by the sin, then how can we ever repent? If we're not, if we're not ever fully cognizant of what God uh, has for us in truth, then how can we ever allow it to apply to our lives? And so that, that's, that's, that's the beauty here. The fourth step is be, be confronted by it, face those shortcomings. And then the last thing is this, and it's hope. It's hope. It's look towards the day to come. Look up and see tomorrow coming. How can we do that? We've just sat and wallowed in our messed upness. Well, the good news is, is tomorrow's coming. And God's grace abounds day by day. And so as you face those, sort, those shortcomings, sure, there's going to be space for mourning and for loss and for pain. But there's also a space for grace and just a profound goodness of God to transform and wash over us and give us hope that we can move on to the next day. And it will be a new opportunity to journey with God. And we will be better tomorrow because we looked back on today.
And we'll be better the next day because we'll look back on tomorrow. You got that? And we'll be, be better the next day and better the next day and better the next day. We as Christians call that sanctification. Growing in godliness. Growing in holiness. So that day by day by day, through self-reflection, prayer, and nurture, we are going to be able to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. Fully transformed. So that his righteousness and his goodness makes us, us righteous and we grow in godliness each and every day. I want you all to know this series this summer, uh, some of you all first time here, uh, this summer we've been on a series called Nurture. We've been looking about how we can nurture those roots so that we can be rooted and grounded in God's love. And, and, and we've looked at all sorts of spiritual disciplines from fasting to abstinence to generosity uh, to prayer to biblical study. And today we're on self-reflection. I want you to know all of these go together because the goal is for us to stay in love with God. To stay in love with God and to nurture that relation, that relationship with God with such intentionality. The same way that you need to and do nurture the relationship with your kids, with your spouse, with your parents. you got to nurture those relationships to stay in love and the same thing is with God. So I hope that over the course of summer you found some, some tools along the way. Some that you're really familiar with, some that you tried out for the first time. But I hope that you'll add this to your toolbox as well, because it is essential for each of us to let God take stock of our lives and for us to grow in wisdom in that way. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for, uh, for David. Lord, we thank you for David. Uh, we thank you for what it means to have, uh, have a biblical witness from David that, that is a man after your own heart, a man who, who you love and who loves you, who messed up super big. And Lord, we, we, we ask God that you would allow David's messed upness to, to encourage us in our own sin, to have hope for tomorrow. And Lord, help us to to avoid those same mistakes because we're able to focus on you. Lord, I thank you for, uh, uh, for your church. I thank you for the time of worship that we've had together. We ask, God, that as we continue in worship and we enter into this time of offering, that you would bless both the gift and the giver alike. Lord, as we offer a portion of what you have blessed us with, back to the kingdom-building work of your church, we ask, God, that you would use these gifts to transform this community, uh, and that more and more would know the name of your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord, because of what we do in this time. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.